Hello, and welcome to Lots of Familiar, the show that remembers that the 1980 World of Sport Annual was introduced by Dickie Davis boasting that it was known in the trade as the best TV sports annual of them all. Presumably, he'd forgotten the word only. I'm Tim Worthington, and joining me to talk about some of her favourite annuals that I won't say nobody remembers, but probably nobody does mention, is writer Jenny Morrill. Jenny, what are you up to? Where can we find it? I write a blog called World of Crap, which is basically just creative ways to make bungle from rainbow swear. I mean, it, it was going to be more stuff. You know, I, I do write about odd things as well, but I, I've just got a reputation for being a weird rainbow super fan now. Anyway, but it's 80s and 90s nostalgia, which I'm currently hoping to turn into a book via Kickstarter. I'm hoping to make um, an annual, very much in the style of a 70s and 80s TV cash-in annual. Okay, well, that's a fairly good description of your first choice. I could not believe this existed when you brought it up, but here's how Spitting Image depicted the man in question around roughly the same time. The judge threw a fella in the local jail Sat him down to give him any bail They showed him the place he was to fill the whack But he was a straw that broke the camel's back It was packed, yeah, it was packed It's over and the walls ain't cracked there's more space in a little sorry Okay, that was Elvis Presley in the Vertacomma singing The Jails Are Packed on Spitting Image. Now, Jenny, the Elvis special 1983, why? For some reason, I own all these really shit annuals. And it just started off, you know, have you ever had, like, an accidental hobby? The only two things I collect are, like, rubbish annuals and broken action figures, and I'm not sure how either of those things started. But it started off collecting rainbow annuals. And then you go around charity shops and you see all these, like, random-ass ones. (laughs) Like, who did an annual of that? I don't know why. I've always been fascinated with annuals. I think it's just obviously because it's it's associated with Christmas for me as well. This is a really good example. This is, and I quote the cover, Elvis Monthly Special, 1983. I'm not sure I understand that. I'm not sure why it's a monthly special, but it's 1983. But it is. That's what we're working with. And we have, it's basically 80% posters because there's only so much you can say about Elvis. And then we get to the puzzle pages which obviously hardcore Elvis fans, they need the ability to do like an Elvis word search. Oh, I've got a history of the jumpsuit as well. Who invented it, does it say? They're literally just describing all the suits he's ever worn. The first jumpsuits in February 1970. No, jumpsuits did not exist before Elvis was a thing. This is literally just a detailed history of Elvis's particular jumpsuits. And then we get to the Elvis puzzle section. Now we've got an Elvis word. And then we've got an Elvis search, which is find the Elvis films. And I love this because they managed to just like fill five pages with this shit. Anyway, this was compiled by Margaret A. Gray in case you wanted to give her a shout out. Well, I noticed there's an Elvis quiz compiled by Anne E. Nixon. Now, Nixon is a name very closely associated with Elvis, so any relation, I wonder? Well, before we get to the quiz, we've got the Double Trouble Puzzle by Keith Howell. I love how they they just insist on crediting these people. One word is missing from each sentence, and they're all Elvis lyrics. You've got to fill in the missing words of Elvis lyrics, but then you've got to sort of fit them into with this weird grid. I don't think I'm going to be doing it, if I'm honest. Um, the person <laughs> who had this angle before me couldn't 
do the word search and they got about three answers and then just gave up well you wonder who would have had it because 1983 what a weird time that is even that's even slightly after when the bbc used to put on all the elvis films in the christmas school holidays and you know i was quite obsessed with those films but this is about three years after that i would have been quite disappointed to get this annual as a child particularly looking into it i mean it was compiled by todd slaughter who at the time was quite a famous elvis fan i think he ran the fan club in the uk but it's full of really tedious minutiae about the club and how to be a good member. Yes. I'm getting to that, but just before, do you want to have a crack at a couple of questions from Go on. a date with Elvis, which is dates associated with Elvis, not like how would you behave on a date with Elvis? Which year did Elvis first visit Paris? Uh, 1879, I don't fucking know. Which year did the fan club first visit the USA? Like, what fan club? I imagine there's more than one Elvis fan club. Is it Teenage Fan Club? Because that would have been 1991, (laughs) I think. Which year did Elvis make a film with Barbara Stowler? Yeah. Anyway, the answer I might know that one. Was that 1961? I don't know. I don't know where the answers are. (laughs) So we're going to who would want this annual and who would make this annual, which brings us to, if I can get through all the sodding posters, a full-page shill for the Elvis fan club, which I assume if you've got this annual... You're already in this club. There's a lot of caps lock in this advert. The Elvis Presley fan club is particularly proud to have reached that landmark. Uh, what landmark? Oh, 25 years. To be succeeding in keeping the legend living. They didn't do a very good job of that, did they? <laughs> <laughs> it's £2.50 a year if you're interested. Famous convention attendees include Jimmy Savile. Oops. Anita Harris. Les Gray and Mud, Billy J. Creamer and Ruth Maddock. It's basically a who's who of who the fuck's that and Jimmy Savile. So there's a, a P.O. box in Leicester that you can write to. So it's like um, there was an episode of Rainbow where they were wrapping a Christmas present for Auntie Elsie in New Zealand and Geoffrey was writing her address and the address was Green Street, New Zealand. <laughs> And that was it. They were just going to send it via airmail. Well, that's interesting to compare with. Do you remember the schools programme Watch, the BBC schools programme? There was one of that where, I think it was when it was being presented by Louise and James, where they were explaining how the postal system worked. And the whole thing was that James wrote Louise's address out in full on the letter, but because his handwriting was bad, instead of East Cheam, it said East Cream. So it got returned and he had to send it again, properly addressed. So they went to all the effort of a proper address and Jeffrey just went like uh, somewhere, <laughs> bunged it in the post box. Yeah, and it got there. Well, we assume it got there because it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger where they all have chips. So we, we never know if Auntie Elsie got a present. Actually, it was on a video. It was on Christmas Rainbow. And in between the episodes, Jeffrey does a little thing to the camera. And after that episode, he's like, I do hope Auntie Elsie got a present. <laughs> he didn't no, she, she didn't. Anyway, so the Elvis fan club, we now have a big thing about support your branch leader. Now, <laughs> this is where you get into the council committee tier of things. Every year we read complaints from our local branch leaders who say that fans don't care anymore. So these people's jobs is presumably to tell you how to be the right sort of Elvis fan. And if you're not enough of an Elvis fan, you'll be shamed. Maybe if you want to join, they give you a quiz like the one we just couldn't do. But then if you don't get all the answers right, you're not allowed to join. You've got to go away. (laughs) But if you're interested, there is a list of your local branch leaders in the UK. My local one would be either Birmingham or Wolverhampton. 
Wolverhampton is Maureen Handley, so I, I might go and see her. And then, right, this will be really good. Then I can sort of infiltrate it from the inside. <laughs> so the Orbis fan club is compromised. <laughs> and I can become a branch leader. But then you'd be in the same position as them and you'd have to complain that they weren't get, you weren't getting <laughs> enough support from the proper type of fans. I was quite disappointed that none of them were giving themselves Elvisy names. Like, I don't know, Jeremy, it's all happened at World's Fair or something. <laughs> Not hyphenated, just one long word. They're all called people like David Trotter, sadly. They've got branches, like, everywhere. They've got three in Glamorgan for some reason. Yeah, if anybody wants to know who their local Elvis club branch leader is, do get in touch. I can sell you the information. Oh, we've just... Oh, that would be a right good like side hustle. I'll just sell people's information. <laughs> I'll sell people's names and addresses based off this. Well, that would be an ideal scheme for two characters, Lance and Martin, who are sadly absent from your next choice, which... Let's just hear this theme music and we'll come back to why I was puzzled by this annual in a second. Okay, that's the theme music from Home and Away. Now, in our house, we had the Home and Away special, which I think was from when it was very first shown on ITV, which I expected your next show, Jenny, to be that, except it's a different Home and Away special, a later one, and I'm amazed they did more than one. Again, I don't know where I got this from. I think I might, I might have somebody who just like breaks in in the middle of the night and drops these off. You're talking about Lance, and do you know the man who plays Lance is called Peter Vroom? Peter Vroom, yeah. <laughs> which is the best name in the world. This is Home and Away. This is, I think it's Sir Old Pippa era, not New Pippa. It's got Tom as well. I don't remember Tom. I barely remember any of these. So we've got interviews with all the people, like the, the one who played Bobby, wearing a interesting outfit. And we've got a whole page containing about eight facts about Australia. This is the thing I love, like they just managed to stretch it out because they always bloody do that. It's like, what's the least amount of content we can legally get away with? One thing that annuals tend to have that some of these actually don't have is the board game. They always do a provide your own counters and dice and everything else board game. And it's always nonsense. It's like, you've got to save this character. Why is never explained. And you can't get the book to lie flat so you can actually play the game on it because the page 
keeps flipping up and then your counters go wrong and then you get into a fight because you accuse each other of cheating anyway australia we've literally got one paragraph of text about sydney which manages to stretch over two pages just because of a massive huge photo of sydney and it's like what's this really really got to do with home and away well that's one thing i noticed about this is there are big blank spaces and pages with like one paragraph broken up with diagonal pull quotes and there's about four pages on other soaps as well yes i'm gonna get to that as well but i want to draw your attention to the danny minogue interview well yeah one thing i noticed was with the cast interviews not only do you get a big nearly full page photo of mr fisher just what all the kids (laughs) wanted but there was no sign of justine clark who played rue and the other thing was helena bozick who played lynn for the first year who was one of the foster family who was written out very quickly and apparently gave up acting straight afterwards and nobody knows what happened to her now she's already been written out of history because it gives a rundown of tom and pippa's life as foster carers and she is not mentioned in it at all (laughs) danny minogue quit home and away last june after a seven month stint as emma jackson see if you can spot the bit i laughed at at a cost of fifty thousand dollars the video of love and kisses was made to promote danny's first single recording and filming was done in new york with black producers aiming to give her an authentically funky feel it's like yeah you're black you know about that stuff Get in here. I don't care if you're a bin man. Get in here. We need you to do some music. And can I just say, I thought that was a terrible video as well. So, well done to them for spending that amount of money on it. I don't remember it, I've got to say. I don't think I could sing you a, a single Danny Minogue song. She's just sort of doing a choreographed dance with lots of people on a white background. So, yeah. And that costs 50000 All the expense there. And then we get to this list of other soaps. And it's brilliant because it reads like a list of things you watched when you were home ill from school. So, we've got like the young doctors and the flying doctors and a country practice and take the high road probably and then we've got loads of stuff that i have not heard of a family at war and then we've got they keep talking about like correlation street and eastenders which has got nothing to do with home and away and then they talk about neighbors but i think they just sort of gloss over neighbors because it's the big rival curiously no one including the actors on the show has been able to fully account for its extraordinary success but but how would they need to account for it it was successful and that was it sounds like they're on trial i reckon there's proper like gang warfare going on between like home and away and neighbors even though they all swap over so much i assume that everyone in every australian soap has also been in every other australian soap that's ever existed the tv hits did a family tree of that once and yes it was pretty much just a big scribble (laughs) so we've got family and friends is concerned with the lives and loves of two feuding families then there is e street already well established i don't know if this was a thing when this annual was written but one thing i did use to watch was heartbreak high it was a bit of a soap but it was more for teenagers but it was australian i guess not because after that we're going straight into a lovely picture of craig mclachlan and again you've got your sort of one paragraph of actual text and then him wearing a lovely woman's t-shirt i think craig mclachlan plays oh does he play a man called grant mitchell that's amazing he does do you remember him in home and away because he didn't really do very much apart from just be there and occasionally (laughs) he lived in a caravan and occasionally Aunt Carly or someone would have to come and get him and they'd knock on the door and hear him going Sharim Sharim and he's like oh come in it's just saying my mantra he was like a zen buddhist oh that's and he was a vegetarian and they make a really big deal out of this in the annual like it's a proper
a tree hugger because he's a vegetarian and he wants to protect the ozone layer. Is it still going home and away? I think it is, but I've no idea. The last time I saw it was a character called Edward who looked like the bloke from Placebo <laughs> and his primary purpose seemed to be to annoy Mr. Fisher by being clever but irreverent <laughs> with it. And you go like, forsooth, Mr. Fisher, verily I shall go to the surf club and say, Edward, stop behaving like that. Oh my God. <laughs> no, actually, the last time I saw it, I was alarmed because you know when it started, we were quite a few years behind Australia. And we all think of Sally as like a little girl. Yeah. She now appears to be older than me. And that is quite frightening. Oh God, Sally was always so annoying. And I don't know why. I don't think she ever did anything to me. It was just, I don't know, because I remember her being annoying, but I also remember Hannah off of Neighbours being annoying as well. The only other things I remember are Shane and Angel, who were a thing when I watched it, and Marilyn getting together with Donald Fisher, which I thought was hilarious, because it's like... She wouldn't fancy him. When you're six, like, Donald Fisher's, like, 100. And he's, like, he's, he's like the least sexy person in the world. Oh, my God, I'm looking at the man himself now. Okay, I'm not claiming to fancy Donald Fisher, because that's a step too far. But I can see a sort of rugged appeal. Now I'm an adult as well. But when you're six, it's like, ugh. She wants, <laughs> she wants to do kissing with him. Well, speaking of fancying, this book gave me a weird flashback to someone I've basically forgotten about her. In the interview with Alex Papps, who played Frank, it says that he's dating, well, they call her Nadine Gardner. They're throwing an extra D in, how respectful. But Nadine Gardner, who was in two series nobody remembers, The Henderson Kids, which is Australian, and The Boys from the Bush, which is a weird BBC thing about Tim Healy was her dad, and they lived in Australia, and he never got used to living in Australia, but she was a proper, oh, I like the Bush Tucker, me dad type, and I really fancied their way back then, and I've oh. no idea what happened to her. Do you know who we haven't mentioned? Alf Stewart. It's like, and I regularly tweet pictures of Alf Stewart. I still say some things he said, like stop behaving like a pork chop and yeah, a young mullet, and well, there's following the rules and there's following the rules. There's also a word search. Our previous owner has done a lot better. I mean, I assume she has. She's circled words. I swear to God, she's not very good at word searches, but she's had a crack at it, which is the important thing. I noticed she couldn't find Alf. That's what, <laughs> that's what reminded me about Stuart. And also, the other thing about Home and Away, before we move on, is um, it invented the world's best swear word, which is rack off. Yes! <laughs> Shall we tell the Home and Away annual to rack off? I think so, because we're moving on to your next choice now. So here's a record from around the time, this is actually two annuals, but around the time the first of these came out, which is really, ironically, just about as politically correct as these annuals themselves. <laughs> Okay, that was Sailor with Girls, 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 a record that I have no more to say about because we're going to be talking about now. I should make it absolutely clear from the outset that this is here to be mocked. 
There is no other way in which I would endorse this publication. But, Jenny, we'll start with the Sun Annual for Girls, 1974. Yeah, this claims to be a book for every girl. But they have this weird thing. I don't know if they've got an obligation to have, like, a certain amount of, like, what they call educational material in it. But you've got shit in these annuals, like um, a four-page history of cutlery. No teenage girl wants to read that. (laughs) Sorry, we do not. We want to know how to kiss boys. We don't want to learn the history of sodding cutlery. There is a quiz. Are you a bad person or not? It's like a social credit creepy quiz. How do you rate as a person? The illustration is just like some girls laughing at another girl. So if you've ever laughed (laughs) at anything ever, bad person. Number one, how often have you jumped a queue or pushed your way to the front? A, never. B, whenever you get the chance. Or C, once or twice. If you find yourself in the company of a well-known gossip, do you? See, this this is for girls. Listen, if she insists on gossiping, but don't join in. Pump her for all the tidbits of information and agree with every word, or tell her some of your own gossip. You're occupying a seat on the bus when an elderly person gets on and has to stand up. Do you? Wait to see if anyone else gets up first. Get up immediately and offer your seat, or stare steadfastly ahead, pretending you haven't noticed. Isn't it dependent on where you are on the bus? Because if you're at the back, upstairs, it's not much use to them, is it? Especially if they get on downstairs and you're upstairs and the car see you standing up. How would they get on upstairs? (laughs) Sorry, I'm just imagining that now. Anyway, the people at the back wouldn't do it, because they're the cool and hard kids at the back, so... Yeah, who need a double seat each, because they're so hard. The thing is, I mean, I would give my seat up, but I'd be a bit embarrassed, because I'd be like, am I going to offend them? Am I going to, like, implying that they're old and feeble? Your best friend gets a new dress, which you like very much. You like one the same, do you? Go right out and buy it. Buy the same style in a different colour, or ask her if she minds first. There is no option to, um, not buy the dress. Your best friend asks you to come out one evening to a film you don't fancy. Do you? Say an outright no, unless she wants to come where you want to go. Say yes, hoping it'll be better than you think. Or go, but get your own back next time by inviting her to something you know she won't like. Who does that? On flag days, do you cross the street when a collector comes into sight, give the smallest amount of money you can, or give all that you can afford? D, what the fuck is a flag day? Yeah, I was going to say, I've never encountered the flag day ever. To me, they were things that characters came across in Wizarding Chips and Whoopee. Oh, core, it's flag day today. Flag day by the House Martins. That's the only thing I know. I think they have them in America, but I mean, this has got no excuse because this is not American. But it did come up in Rainbow. Bungle had his own flag day because he just wanted some money. <laughs> So he went round selling flags to, obviously to Rod, Jane and Freddy, because that's the only people they know. And then someone pointed out to him, you can't just have the money bungle, you've got to do it for charity. (laughs) The boy that you've liked for ages asks your best friend for a date. Do you? Say she's a scheming hussy and refused to speak to her. Hope he goes off her very soon and notices you. Or look around for your second choice. Now, again, who does that? Who has a second choice? I don't understand these people. There's a lot of things in this annual that are really... I don't understand why they're in there. There's things that are basically adverts, like one for Magic Roundabout stickers. It's disguised as a feature, but it's actually saying you can buy these. You know, there must have been some backhanders going on. A feature called Make Way for the Girls about 
Vivid uh, and music. Band, yes, and today I learned there's a band called Fanny, which I still love. Yeah, <laughs> who were the only all-female band mentioned in? And there were plenty of all-female bands at the time, but all the others are bands of men with one woman in, like Stone the Crows. To be fair, with the new Seekers, it's hard to tell. I yes. know one of, one of them's got a moustache, so I'm, I'm going on the side of male, but, you know, they are very unisex haircuts. Oh, yeah, and this is one of the other things you've got. You've got a three-page in-detail history of pottery. No teenage girl wants to read three pages on the history of pottery. Who are these people that decided that would be a good thing? And then you've got The Life of Eva Peron, which is actually, it's in cartoon form, so it's it's accessible to me. It's actually quite interesting, so I'll give that a pass. And then, the gift wrapping thing. This is, how many pages have got? Right, two and a half pages on how to wrap presents with no actual instructions. Just pictures of what it might look like when you're finished. And then a wall of text, and it's like, why not do this? All right, show me how to do it. No, but here's a picture of the finished one. And it's like, they just, just there's a picture of an alarm clock for some reason, and I don't understand because I can't read the text because I don't want to. I'm going to go out on a limb and take a wild guess that given the son's general attitude to women, that... <laughs> Their attention to this being for girls just went to the extent of calling it for girls and thinking people will buy it for girls. There's nothing in here serving either gender, really. (laughs) It's not really for, like, people, is it? No, the front cover as well looks like a cropped version of one of those, let's just say those peanut display things you used to get in bars in the 70s. Well, everything about this book is wrong, and it wasn't alone, because you've shown me some other examples, including what was the one with the fortune-telling chimp in it? Oh, now that is from Diana for Girls, 1970. And this is classic filler. I love it. You've literally just got a photo of a monkey dressed up with a poem. He's like, he's dressed up as like a fortune teller at the fair, you know. And then there's a poem about like, oh, wouldn't it be good if this monkey was a fortune teller? What is it? I don't know, we might be. <laughs> it's not something I've ever thought about, I've got to say. That is brilliant, Diana Annual. It's, it deserves like a look all on its own, I'll be honest. On the left wing of the spectrum, we've got the Daily Mirror book for girls, 1980. Oh, so have we moved forward progressively in those six years? Well, I'm keen yes to find and, out. Yes and no. <laughs> London's new driving force which is like it's made a meme reality because it's like oh look at these tough pioneering new female cops but they're all doing like traffic duty it's like yes women can be policemen too we need somebody to give out parking tickets this is the tone and we start off with the ABC of being a girl would you like to pick a letter and I'll tell you how to be a girl about it I'm gonna go randomly for J J is for jewellery. No, not tiaras and things like that, but the little trinkets all schoolgirls acquire from time to time. Never wear them with school uniform, though, and avoid the Christmas tree look, even at parties. Pick one more and then we'll move on. G. G is for growing, which you're doing now and will be till you're about 21. So don't start worrying too much about how your figure hasn't developed. And if you think you're too fat, it's probably only puppy fat and will disappear during the next few years. Well, that's nice to 
know. That means I don't have to go on a diet. I like that. And then we've got a load of recipes. Now, do bear in mind, this is for teenage girls. One of the recipes calls for one pound neck of mutton. What girl do you know regularly buys neck of mutton? Maybe things were different back then. I don't know. And then there's a history of horse-drawn coaches. Again, nobody asked. For God's sake. Then, the history of cutlery. It's called cutlery cavalcade. Knives, forks and spoons. We use them every day. But how did they begin? It's not really a cavalcade with three things, is it? And then we've got a poem about gardening. And then we've got your horoscope. Do you want your horoscope for 1980? Taurus. Don't worry too much about what other people think of you this year. You're doing just fine as it is, so stick at it. On the whole, 1980 should be a pretty exciting year for you. There'll be all sorts of new things happening. And you'll be feeling especially confident and capable. But avoid gossip and arguments at all costs. They could ruin everything for you. You can also expect to get more demanding about your food as the year wears on. You'll become the despair of whoever cooks for you. That's oddly specific. I think the only worry I had in 1980 was about Battle of the Planet. And when was it on? (laughs) (laughs) Now we get to a story called Mimi and the Elegant. Bloody hell. Somebody sat in a room and thought this premise up. Okay, this girl put her head under like a perm dryer thing at the hairdressers, got head electrocuted, and now she can hypnotise people. And it's a secret, so she's only told her entire fucking year at school. And this somehow ends up in her getting an elephant. One of the things she does is she goes to the circus and there's a clown. He's like, oh, I'm such a shit clown. I'm past it. If I'm not good today, I'm going to get the sack. And instead of, like, hypnotising the audience to laugh at him, she just goes to him, you are a good clown, you will give a good performance. And he's like, yes, I will. And then suddenly he's just a brilliant clown. That's not how that works. The elephant follows her home from the circus and they hide him at school. I don't think this is realistic. I'm going to take a guess at something that happens in it. Her dad gets angry about the elephant and falls over and you see her and the elephant laughing. Well, the elephant does dress up as the teacher and pretend to be the teacher. (laughs) And then there's some bad men who want to steal the elephant. And they managed to foil him by being plucky. The elephant's never really explained. I think it's just somebody was good at drawing elephants. <laughs> it was like, let's, let's have a story about the elephants. And then we've got the biggest dog in the world, who I suspect is photoshopped. There's also the thing that bothered me the most, which is there's a page of profiles of pop bands. And they're all several years out of date. I mean, it's people like Rosetta Stone, who were kind of like post-Bay City Rollers, were yeah. washed up by that point. But the weirdest one, and it's just the third time they've caught on looks unfamiliar in this context, because the real thing had two bursts of major chart success in the mid-70s and the mid-80s. People keep finding things that profiled the real thing between those two spells of stars. Why were people <laughs> so determined to feature them when they weren't having any success? I don't understand it. My guess is they were cheap. I don't know. Do they pay to be in the annual or are they paid to be in the annual? I don't know. I don't know how it works. I don't know. And then here come the Space Girls, which is basically just like Vince make the tea. And then it's like space air hostesses. Look at them being female. Isn't it hilarious? And then they manage to save the day by one of them throws a shoe at the bad guy. But most of the time it's just... Oh, aren't I silly? I've put salt in your tea instead of sugar. No, I had a theory about this, which is, what do you think the chances are? It was actually an old strip of air hostesses, where they just thought, what do kids like now? Uh, space. Let's reuse <laughs> that and just draw some spaceships over the planes. I think that was probably what happened. 
there. Well, this is quite a good story, all things considered, because it's like they've got this woman, this politician that everybody loves, and she's gone to Mars to do a diplomat thing. But then somebody, the bad guy replaces her with a robot who is going to go and say, like, all Martians are wankers, get fucked, Mars, you know, <laughs> and cause an international incident. And then for reasons we don't really find out. This is deemed less important than one of them accidentally put salt in the guy's tea. There's only one hotel on Mars, and for some reason they're all there. She is programmed, to, this robot is programmed to say, any time Mars wants a war, Earth is ready to oblige. So so they want to go to war with Mars. I'm not really sure why. She's about to make a speech and one of the air hostesses throws her shoe at the bad guy. Oh, there's two bad guys. She throws a shoe at one of them and manages to kill both of them. And then she, she knocks over the robot and everyone goes, oh, it's a robot. Oh, no. And then we've got caring for your pet. That boy is a serial killer. This is the worst possible picture you can use of caring for your pet. It's like care for your pet by not letting this boy anywhere near them i think that's what they mean and then we finish with some girl doing gymnastics and we're supposed to care if we dial back to whatever they're called the space hostesses or something here come the space girls yeah if we pretend we just mentioned that that would be a great setup for your last choice (laughs) you said you've never seen this i'm gonna play the theme music from this and we'll see what little you know about it when I was about 10 or 11, but all you know about it, Jenny, is this annual, apparently. It's the 1986 V annual, and I know V is about some aliens, but that's it. Well, it was quite a big sensation, because it was on very late at night on ITV. You know, they did the mini-series around then, which were all, you know what they called the Bonkbusters, where it was all about torrid love affairs and political <laughs> intrigue, boardroom takeovers. V was like that, but it didn't have any of that. It was just, some aliens have come to Earth, they're posing as humans, and they've got bad intentions. 
Right. And they eat mice in one go. Oh, that's what that picture is. There's some brilliant artwork in this, I'll tell you. But I had this annual because I barely got to see, for obvious reasons, the two miniseries, the V and V, The Final Battle. They then did a proper kind of relatively sanitised weekly series of it, which mm. is not as good. And this annual is based on the series. And it was a right. bit of a disappointment after all that, you know, all the legends had heard about how exciting and horrifying it was. The annual did not live up to that. I don't know. Nothing says terrifying alien invasion like a word search. We've got the V word search. It'd be really funny if you just had to find the letter V. I was going to say it's one of them, see. (laughs) (laughs) The person who did this, instead of just like scribbling over the words with a biro like you're supposed to do, they've like very neatly put a line either side of each word. Now it just looks like there's a load of extra letter I's. We've got some awesome stories with artwork and I don't know who any of these people are they all look vaguely happy though you know like the the old master system games and the box art they always look like inappropriately happy on those i think there's one called my hero and that man is literally getting punched in the face and he looks really happy <laughs> the same thing with this it's like they all look like there's there's one who looks like a bartender in this one leaning over a dead lady and he's just like happy about it and i don't think he's supposed to be i think it's no. just there's a what looks like a hell's angel running away and he looks happy and then at the ending the barman gets on one of the hell's angels motorbikes gets on the back with him and he looks really far too happy at this turn of events like as much as a drawing can do he's actually looking at the camera and going yes i'm on it i'm in here you know <laughs> so this yeah this artwork is phenomenal yeah i noticed they only picked off one reference photo for diana played by jane badler who was the main sort of well not bad guy in it obviously they've just got the one picture of her and they draw it at slightly different angles <laughs> throughout the other thing i remember is isn't a joke page called v he now i was just getting to that v he he this is another staple of like shitty annuals that you have an entire page with six jokes on it and there's always a joke to do with aston villa i don't know why in the mr t annual there's aston villa jokes and it's like mr t did not sanction this himself (laughs) mr t did not write these sodding jokes because he does not is the classic aston villa aston vanilla joke and it's like mr t does not know aston villa the v joke page of it to tell you some jokes because i don't get these because they're all actually about v why do the visitors wear fake masks because they're trying to infiltrate society and take over no because they need two mouths for all their double talk that okay. was the sound of me shrugging. I, it's I, sound I of me know. shrugging, and I've I've got the complete V on Blu-rays. <laughs> <laughs> Why are visitors so vain? They think they are dressed to kill. None of this bears any relation to V in any way. But uh, most of the annual didn't, from memory. I spent most of my time with this, using it to rest my ZX Spectrum on. <laughs> Oh, you've got like a, a quiz about space. And I suppose it's sort of got to do with V, but I think you'd rather have like cartoons of lizards eating people, wouldn't you? Rather than who first studied the stars through a telescope. Ah, now we've got a board game. Very thoughtfully put this right in the middle. So you know what I was talking about where you can't get the pages to stay still? This is an extreme example of that because both the pages just keep coming up. So what you do, this is called Breaking the Mothership Connection, where when Julie got word that Dr. Jenna Arlov, one of Earth's foremost experts on reptile behaviour, was about to be snatched from her hiding place, blah, blah, blah. They went to get it. Could you get there first? 
find out by playing this game. They're all really convoluted rules as well. I've noticed that. Game for two or more players, <laughs> implying you've got friends if you've got this. Julie has decided that if she mounts a four-pronged attack, at least one section might get through and rescue the beleaguered herpetologist. Therefore, there are four different routes mapped out from the Resistance Centre to Dr. Arlov's hideout. Players must throw the dice and see which number route they take. Players throwing five or six when choosing a route must throw again. Players may take any route back from the hideout. If players land on squares bearing instructions, they must obey them. And then there's all kinds of guides to miss a throw. Computer access double next throw. Miss two throws. Helped by sympathiser throw again. This is just, it's, it's some crazy shit. Basically, it's throw the dice and move on the squares. Well, I don't know what happens if like two of you end up doing the same route. Or all four of you end up on like route one. Implying anybody has actually played this game ever. I think the people that made this didn't play it. But to be honest with you, I would not be surprised if that's the sort of thing that turns up into what you've ostensibly come here to talk about, which is, do you want to plug your end? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I've got a Kickstarter going. If you read my blog, you'll be familiar with the kind of kind of stuff that's going to go in there. But basically, it's Kickstarter for an annual, a World of Crap annual, and it's going to be a complete piss take of things that we've just been talking about here. And it's going to be a mishmash of styles. There's, uh, you know, teenage stuff and preschool stuff. There is going to be at least one obligatory board game and it's going to be as complicated as possible. Bearing in mind that it's got to be something I can understand so it's, it's not going to be complicated. But the Kickstarter is at Kickstarter World of Crap and it's just called the World of Crap Annual. So if you might want to get a copy of that, maybe have a look because, I mean, it's going to be as authentic as possible. Well, if you want a good bad annual, which <laughs> is basically like the ones we talked about were readable, then you should definitely get over and back the annual. Jenny, it's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank Thank you. News channel with a big caption saying Clangers expert. More details, timworthington.org.